Listen, all you New Yorkers. What's up, everybody? It's 10 o'clock on Monday night, which means it's time for the next best thing. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, and I'll be with you for the next two hours right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Don't go anywhere. We have a great, 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 great show lined up for you tonight. But before we get to any of that, we'd like to kick the show off by doing what we always do, and that is review all of the great and the not-so-great things that have happened on... This Day in History. Today is January 16th, and on this day in history, in 1896, the first five-player college basketball game was played in Iowa City, Iowa. Wow, when that's the first thing we have listed, you know it must have been a slow day for history. On this day in 1920, prohibition went into effect in the United States. And hey, on the same day in 1920, the motion picture, The Kid, opened. Historical event? Alright, on this day in 1961, Mickey Mantle signed a contract that made him the highest paid baseball player in the American League at $75,000 for the 1961 season. Sounds absurd by today's standards. On this day in 1964, Hello Dolly opened at the St. James Theater in New York City. Starring Carol Channing. On this day in 1982, Britain and the Vatican resumed full diplomatic relations after a break of over 400 years. That was in 1982, probably at the peak of the molestation. Just pointing that out. On this day in 1985, Playboy magazine announced its 30-year tradition of stapling centerfold models in the belly button and elsewhere would come to an immediate end. I, I don't even know what that means. On this day in 1988, Jimmy the Greek Snyder was fired as a CBS sports commentator one day after telling a TV station in Washington, D.C. that during the era of slavery, blacks had been bred to produce stronger offspring. He was fired for being a dumbass. On this day in 1998, NASA officially announced that John Glenn would fly aboard the Space Shuttle Discovery in October. I remember that. I spoke about that right after he died. On this day in 2002, the UN Security Council unanimously adopted sanctions against Osama bin Laden, his terror network, and the remnants of the Taliban. The sanctions required that all nations impose arms embargoes and freeze their finances. And last but not least, on this day in 2009, the iTunes Music Store reached 500 million applications downloaded. Most of these were totally stupid and irrelevant, and I apologize for them, but hey... That just about does it for today. It's also Martin Luther King Day, which I can't believe we didn't say. That's what happened on this day in history. And who knows, perhaps we'll make history right here tonight on Radio Free Brooklyn and be studied for years to come. But probably not. You're listening to The Next Best Thing. I'm John Lerner. Stay tuned. Hello, beautiful people. What what better to get your Monday night kicked off than mixing up the ages? The answer is nothing. I hope everyone had a great week and a great weekend. If you had the day off, then go screw yourself. I did not have the day off. I feel like I'm one of the three people. I read today that the um, garbage collectors in New York City didn't have today off either. So that makes what? Me and the garbage collectors, apparently. I don't understand how I couldn't have had today off. I feel like that has to be some kind of just, I don't know, violation of something, something or other, but I didn't. And I have to say, um, you know what? I was reminded of this last night when I I didn't mean to bring this up so early, but actually I'm not going to bring that up. I'm going to bring it up when we get to the news and what's going on in the world. I know a lot of people will disagree with this. Frankly, I could say that before any statement, but I hate January. I hate February. I've always thought they were the two worst months. And here's why. In an, in a single word. Death. I feel like January and February are the months of death. It, it never 
Never do we have shorter days. It gets dark really early. It's cold, so people are almost, they, they try to avoid being outside. There's not a lot going on. I feel like it's usually cold, gray, dark. There are no leaves on the trees. You can't see any grass. Dead. Everything is cold and dead. And then I meant quite literal death. I feel like, and maybe this is a very, not maybe, this absolutely is a very subjective thing, but a lot of people die in the month of January in particular. January more so than February. Um, Now, it might have just been a spree of a few years, but including a few personal losses of mine that happened, of course, when else, in January. Uh, Heath Ledger died in January, I remember very well. Anna Nicole Smith, America's sweetheart. She died in February of, I think, 2007 or something. And there's way more than that. I just can't think of them off the top of my head. But my grandmother died. I know that affected you just as much as it did me. But the point is, it's not, these are not my favorite months by any stretch of the imagination. Also, Christmas comes at the very end of December. And we celebrate it most of November and, of course, all of December and sometimes sneaks into October. But we got Christmas, we have New Year's, we have Hanukkah, we have Kwanzaa, we have all those holidays. We have the holidays of the happy holiday phrase. We have all of that in December and November, Thanksgiving, of course. And then what comes after January 1st? Zilch. Nada. Nothing. Not until... Valentine's Day, which I would say, what, at this point, 60% of the United States doesn't have anything to celebrate on those days. So, you know, they're not my favorite months is what I'm trying to say. And I hope everyone's happy and healthy. (laughs) Welcome to the next best thing. I'm John, Jonathan B. Lerner, your host every Monday night from 10 to midnight here on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm excited you're joining us and we have a great show lined up for you. Uh, the return of must-see scary movies makes its return tonight. The return makes its return. Maybe I'll return to the English language at one point or another. But until then, I hope everyone's happy and healthy. And I'm glad you're here with me tonight on Radio Free Brooklyn. So now let's talk about what's going on in the news and what's going on in, of course, the world. But let's think about it for a second. Do we really want to do this? There we go. You're listening to The Next Best Thing. Here's what's making news tonight. All right. Let's see here. What's going on in the news? What's going on in the world? Well, all right. So here we go. Jennifer Holliday has decided not to sing at the President Trump inauguration. That, I want to know, that's the first time I've said those two words back-to-back without pausing, without needing to, you know, brace myself. Jennifer Holliday decides not to sing for Trump after severe opposition. And we do mean severe opposition. Now, for those of you who don't know, Jennifer Holliday won a Tony Award and rose to fame for her performance of Effie White in the original... Broadway cast of Dreamgirls. Obviously, that became a huge blockbuster hit many years later, I believe in 2007, starring Jennifer Hudson, Beyonce. Anyway, Jennifer Holliday was the original Effie White. She won a Tony, she won a bunch of awards, and she's still famous for that role. Now, she announced a while ago that she was going to be singing at a, quote, welcome event for the Trump inauguration, end quote. But she has since changed her mind citing opposition to her appearance from the gay and lesbian community. Quote, I sincerely apologize for my lapse of judgment for being uneducated on the issue that affects on the issues that affect every American at this crucial time in history and for causing such dismay and heartbreak to my fans. To my fans, she wrote, quote, please know that I hear you and I feel your pain. The LGBT community was mostly responsible for bringing my career, and I am deeply... I can't read. I'm sorry, I'm having trouble saying this. The LGBT community was mostly responsible for birthing my career, and I'm deeply indebted to you. You have loved me faithfully and unconditionally, 
and for so many years you provided me with work even though my star had long since faded. Okay, end quote. I have to be honest, people, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Obviously, I don't... Here, first of all, full disclosure, I'm not a... I don't... I'm not a huge Jennifer Holiday fan. I knew she was the original Effie White in Dreamgirls. Why did I know that? Because I saw the movie and I saw 60 Minutes around when the movie came out. And 60 Minutes did a segment with her because she had not been asked to make a cameo. She had not been contacted by the movie at all. And a few other original cast members had been. And that was... So that was very interesting. That's kind of the only reason I even knew Jennifer Holiday's name. So it's not like I have a deep connection with her. But I'm just not sure how I feel about this whole... We've gotten into this, you know, our culture nowadays, this mob mentality of if someone does something that we don't like, we, I don't know. I'm, I mean, like, I, I, I hesitate to say this because I get it to a degree and I, I don't like certain things just as much as anybody. I hated, hated when I heard about that dentist killing Leo the lion. He had gone on some safari specifically to kill a lion. You know, what the... What... I mean, get a life, pal. Go clean some teeth. You don't need to be killing beautiful, almost endangered animals. But the backlash to that was over the... Out of out of control. And he had to, like, go into hiding. He might be dead now. I don't even know. And I just don't like this whole thing where it's like Macy's... You know, Hobby Lobby. I, you know... I couldn't care less about Hobby Lobby. Obviously, I think they were religious, you know, kind of fanatics, and I don't agree with virtually anything that those owners think and do, and Hobby Lobby is a huge reason as to why... I mean, Hobby Lobby is a horrible company. But I don't expect the world to boycott Hobby Lobby. I'm not going to go there, and that's fine. That's my choice. If you go there, okay, I don't really give a shit. I have a life to live. With this Jennifer Holiday thing, you know... She hasn't gotten a lot of work. I'm sorry. Like, she, she... She... What did I just say I know her name for? Because she was on 60 Minutes for having not been asked to be in the movie of the musical in which she was a big star. The one and only musical in which she was a big star. Um, You know, let the woman... It's a gig. Okay? You know, like... If this was... Let me put it this way. If this was anybody who was you know, still touring, if this was someone who had just put out a hit album, this was Taylor Swift. This was Taylor Swift, Elton John, Billy Joel, uh, Bob Dylan. If this was anybody who I thought, you know, they don't need this gig. They are wanting to do this for one reason or another. Okay, I might feel differently. I don't know. I still don't know that I'd think we all need to boycott them. And that's what I was seeing on social media and on certain, you know, news outlets that she was truly being boycotted as much as one can be in her position. And, you know, her response is her response. And, you know, it seems very earnest and genuine and good for her. And I think that it's actually kind of beautiful how she has, has that sense of self-awareness. But again, had she really wanted to do this gig to get her name out there, to get her voice out there again, you know, she's Effie White, for those of you who don't know, in the show, Dreamgirls, Effie White is the kind of bigger character. She's kind of more full-figured, if you will. And back in the day, Jennifer Holliday was not full-figured. She was huge. She was very huge. Um, she has since had, you know, surgery. She's lost a lot of weight. Not that you need... I'm just saying she probably would have liked an opportunity to get herself out there. To say, here I am, world. I'm still here. Let me sing for you. And that might have been an opportunity, but she gracefully turned it down when other people told her to. Okay, so that's that. Moving right along here. What's your opinion? Do you have an opinion? Tweet at us. Moving right along. The Trump administration has decided they may evict the press from the White House. Oh, well, that who couldn't see that coming? Quote, they are the opposition party, a senior official has said. If the plan goes through, one of the officials has told us that the media will be removed from the cozy confines of the White House press room where it has worked for several decades. Where they'll go, nobody knows. Where they'll go, nobody knows. But he just wants them out. He doesn't care. Come on. He's given one goddamn press conference that was a, let's just say, a 
crap show. And, you know, what does he care? He just wants to do that to show how powerful he is. Excuse me. Excuse me. Get out. Get out. You can't be in here. He just wants to do that because he's a piece of dog shit. Moving right along here. William Peter Blatty, the author of The Exorcist, the novel, and he also wrote the screenplay, has died at the age of 89. As you... If anyone listens regularly, you'll know that we did a review on The Exorcist not long ago for our must-see scary movies, and he actually was featured in it. Great man, smart man. Rest in peace. The cause of death was multiple melanoma, a form of blood cancer. 89 years old. Rest in peace. Moving right along. Breaking news. The wife of Pulse nightclub shooter, something Mateen, Omar Omar Mateen, anyway, his wife, has been arrested. She was arrested today. Excuse me, Omar Mateen, yes. Authorities have arrested the wife of Pulse nightclub shooter Omar Mateen in connection with their investigation into the June mass shooting, FBI spokesman Prentice Danner said. And she was arrested in the San Francisco area Monday morning. That is still a developing story. I don't know what the charges are necessarily, but she is in custody. So, we'll see what comes of that. I think it, I, I'm surprised it's taken this long. I mean, we knew that she had taken him to that nice club. She had taken him to that nightclub on multiple occasions for, I, who knows? What did he tell her? Honey, please, I need a ride. I'm going to go to this nightclub. Don't worry about it. It's gay. But I'm just going to hang out there, okay? I'm totally straight. Who knows? Who knows? But we'll find out soon enough, I suppose. Moving right along. Now, this is some sad news, folks. The Ringling Brothers have announced that they're going to be closing the circus. The circus. The one circus, the greatest show on earth, as we were, as it was presented to us, is going to be closing. It's going to be closing forever in May of this year. That's just in a few months. I mean, I couldn't be more heartbroken. I'm not, I mean, that's, that's sarcasm, but... I can't tell you the last time I went to the circus. I know I've been a few times in my life, but the last time truly might have been when I was like five or six. Either way, though, it's the circus. It's not going to be available anymore. The company that runs the Ringling Brothers in Barnum and Bailey, they announced today, oh no, not today, recently, that it will shut down the 146-year-old show in a few months. 146 years old! Kenneth Feld, chairman and CEO of Feld Entertainment, wrote in a letter that he and his family, quote, made the difficult business decision that Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey will hold its final performances in May of this year. And I've, reports are saying that it's the elephant's fault. Recently, you've probably heard, um, there were a lot of animal rights groups for years who have been totally, totally protesting and doing all they can to get the circus, get the animals out of the circus. Well, recently, I think they came to an agreement and they were trying to phase out the use of elephants. Immediately when they did that, ticket prices, which were already starting to dwindle, fell off a cliff, according to the reports I read. And it just, they couldn't handle it anymore. And so they're closing up shop, or I guess I should say, closing up tent once and for all. This is going to play into the... um, must-see scary movie theme tonight. I didn't even realize that. All right, moving right along. Katie Couric may return to the Today Show? What? She recently appeared for a week-long stint alongside Matt Lauer while Savannah Guthrie was out on maternity leave. I didn't see any of it, but I did read it was happening, happening, and just the thought of it, I have to be honest, I thought was very exciting. That show was on every morning as my sister and I got up and got ourselves to school, or got to school. Our parents got us to school. Either way, the show was on. It was a big part of my childhood. And it was always, I mean, at one point it must have been Katie Kirk and Brian Gumbel, but really, Katie Kirk and Matt Lauer, those were the ones that I will remember forever. And they were on that show from my days in, like, kindergarten all throughout. I think Katie's last year might have been my freshman year of college. Uh, No, no, no junior or senior year of high school. Either way, they were the staples to me. And I have to say, I do remember when Katie Couric left that show, I remember saying to my mom, that's it. I mean, as if I I was totally a connoisseur of morning news programs. I said, that's it. This show's going to be down. It's going to be over. They cannot handle it without Katie Couric. 
And they got Meredith Vieira to replace her. And I remember thinking, oh, this could work. This could work. And it did. It was Meredith Vieira. Truly, I think she was the one and only personality who could replace Katie. Because A, I don't know why. I'm gonna, I am gonna. I can't really say what I think because I don't want to piss anyone off. But they both are that, you know, brunette, smart, bubbly, newswoman personality. But truly good at what they do. They're not just... You know, it's not just like a, a an eyepiece. They're great at what they do. And I don't know, they just fit that role perfectly. And then, here's the thing. All right, so, Meredith Vieira was only on that show for, I think, five years. We'll get to that in just a second. Anyway, so Katie came on to replace Savannah while she was on maternity leave. But she was also, she also just happened to be on the show during the week that they were celebrating Matt Lauer's 20th year on the program. Um, 20 years, geez, gosh. I mean, I wonder if he ever wants to try something new. I don't know. Uh, but surprisingly, Katie Kirk's return to today didn't actually move the needle when it comes to ratings. ABC's Good Morning America beat the program in both total audience and the significant adult 25 to 54 demo for the first week of January. This was probably due to people like yours truly, who read that this was happening, thought it was exciting, and didn't watch the show because I don't watch the show. I'm not going to start watching a show I don't watch just to see Katie. I've, I can look up YouTube like the rest of the world nowadays. So that probably has something to do with it. But anyway, so I guess there's reports that she might she might be looking for a permanent return. And while a return to NBC wouldn't be surprising, some things do hang in the balance. You see, she renewed, she being Katie Couric, she renewed her contract with Yahoo as its, quote, global news anchor in 2015 for $10 million, and it's unclear as to when that is set to end. Yahoo News. She is Yahoo News's global news anchor. Does anyone ever get home at night after work, have some dinner, and turn on Yahoo News? No. Has anyone ever thought to themselves, I better check Yahoo for the news? No. I mean, come on. NBC Nightly News, CBS Evening News, ABC World News Tonight, or of course, Google News. Yahoo News, I didn't know it existed. In fact, Yahoo is not, it's about to change its name. It's going to be like Altabala or something. But that's neither here nor there. So I have to say this before I move on. I love, I used to, you know, the Today Show was the show turned on in the mornings as we got ready for school. I had an affinity for the Today Show all throughout my life until, until Meredith Vieira left. Was it? Yes. After Meredith Vieira left that show, they replaced her, and this seemed pretty natural, with Anne Curry, who had been on that show for, I don't know, 75 years, it seemed like. And she was on there for... Now, Anne Curry is one of the best journalists who's probably been on that show ever. Um, and she... I think she did a fine job. I, You know, whatever. She did a very good job, but I guess the chemistry with Matt Lauer wasn't there. And that makes sense. She's not... She's a hard-hitting journalist, you know? She likes to interview people, report the news, report, you know, about wars and stuff overseas. She's not the, you know, prototypical, bubbly, anger girl. And that's the truth. However, the way they handled her ousting was so unbelievably cruel, so unbelievably stupid, and so kind of just uh, unbelievably, I mean, horrible. I, I thought I had the clip. I used to have the clip, but I don't have it with me. They basically, okay, let me put it this way. When Brian Gumbel left the Today Show, I think they did like three full shows all about Brian Gumbel, his, you know, his first few years, his middle years, and his last few years. When Katie Couric left the, the Today Show, she at least got an entire episode, and I know they kind of built up to it for a long time. When Meredith Vieira, who was on that show for five years tops, when she left the show, they gave her an entire episode to commemorate her, to celebrate her, to thank her, to say they'll miss her, and to see her off. Then, suddenly, with no warning what at all, Ann Curry, we hear, is going to leave the show, and she gets 30 seconds. Literally. They come back from commercial. They're all sitting there on the couch. 
And it's just, here's the mic. And she says, uh, this is a tough day for me. And she's, she gets very emotional and it's heartbreaking. She was literally ousted within one commercial break, it seemed like. And she was like, I guess, you know, I'm going to be the um, anchor at large, uh, whatever that means. Because she knew it meant nothing. She was going to do nothing, which is exactly what she's done for NBC since that day. And it's just a terrible mess. That was so poorly handled that I have to say I couldn't, I don't really give a, don't really give a hoot about the Today Show anymore. Because I just thought that was so grotesquely handled. And I don't watch any of the morning programs, so what do I care? But that's my stance on the Today Show. Now, let's get into some other news, some real news, shall we? Okay, so, oh, this is big. Last week, I ended the show by asking you all to join me in cheering for the Kansas City Chiefs, my hometown team, the Kansas City Chiefs, who I loved so much. Well, they had the game last night. They went up against the Pittsburgh Steelers. It was a close game. It was a gritty game. It went right to the end, and I'm sorry to say my Chiefs lost. Yeah, they lost. It was tough. It was really tough. Mm. I could talk about this all night. We won't. But they lost. You know, they were playing Ben Roethlisberger. Antonio Brown, and Le'Veon Bell. If you don't know those three names, I'll sum it up like this. Those are three people who make up an entire offense for a football team, and they're one of the best offenses in the league because of those three people. No one else matters. And no one else mattered last night, frankly. In fact, Antonio Brown didn't really matter last night. And let me put it, let me say this, because this is important, and I don't know if people realize this. The Steelers never scored a touchdown. They didn't score a single touchdown. All night. The score, the final score was 18 to 16. They scored six field goals. Our defense kept that offense out of the end zone all night long, and we still lost because our offense sucked. And don't blame Alex Smith. I know most of the listeners to Radio Free Brooklyn don't even know who these people are, but Alex Smith is the quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. He has been shit on his entire career. People either say he was worthless or they called him a game manager, which means he's, you know, good enough, I guess, to stand there and do the job to hand the ball off. But please, he can't really throw and he's not going to win you any games. Well, that's horse crap. He's not great. He's not going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback by any stretch of the imagination, but he's efficient, he's smart, and he does he does get the job done. And frankly, last night, anyone who blames Alex Smith for the Chiefs' loss last night is an idiot. There were five, count them, five good throws, great passes that Alex Smith made to various receivers because Kansas City, or so we thought, had a lot of weapons on offense, and they just dropped them. One bounced off one guy's chest, another went right through another guy's hands. There was one play that was a handoff. The running back took the ball, ran for a good, pretty good run, and then just dropped the ball like a, like a, I, you don't even know. We lost the game because our offense wasn't focused, made stupid penalties, and it's so frustrating. We're gonna I've done a show once called Only a Game, and it's all about sports and you know how guys like me can get so wrapped up in them that I just Yeah. If my team loses, thankfully I don't care about the Chiefs as much as I do about like the Royals, for example, a baseball team. But it does bother me. And it bothers me because we still, even though we played pretty crappily, the Chiefs still could have won that game. There was a point last night when it was 16 to 18, and we actually made, we were able to complete a two-point conversion to tie the game, and then who knows what would have happened, except, okay, so the ball's thrown, the ball's caught, celebrate, 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 suddenly, yellow flag. Holding. Holding is a call that you could the refs could truly make on every single play of the goddamn game. Holding is a, holding needs to be more defined because it's, it's so vague that you truly could call it on every play. They didn't call it on any play, but they called it on this one. And it did, you know, and I'm not saying it was a necessarily bad call. I mean, sure he was holding, but again, there had to have been at least 75 instances of holding before this point that didn't get called. So the fact that this one did, 
sucks and it sucks for the Chiefs and it sucks for Kansas City fans, but hey, we're Chiefs fans, we're used to it. So what's that mean? That means the Steelers will move on. They'll play the Patriots for a chance to play in the Super Bowl. Also, the Packers beat the Dallas Cowboys. So they'll play the Atlanta Falcons for a chance to play in the Super Bowl. Good luck to all of them. If it were up to me, you'd all lose. Okay, moving right along here. What else is going on in the news? Going on in the world. So today is Martin Luther King Day. As I'm sure you've all know, known, I'm sure you all had a wonderful day off. And how did our president-elect celebrate? Well, naturally, he celebrated by insulting and attacking and denigrating a civil rights icon and serving congressman named John Lewis. By the way, yesterday would have been Martin Luther King's 88th birthday. May he rest in peace. All right, John Lewis. So John Lewis recently was on NBC's Meet the Press with Chuck Todd. And in that interview, he said, a lot of things. Among them was this. You have um, forged relationships with many presidents. Do you plan on trying to forge a relationship with Donald Trump? You know, I believe in forgiveness. I believe in trying to work with people. Uh, it's, it's going to be hard. It's going to be very difficult. Uh, I don't see this president-elect as a legitimate president. You do not consider him a legitimate president. Why is that? I, I think the Russians participated in helping this man get elected, mm -hmm. and they helped destroy the candidacy of Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't plan to attend inauguration. It would be the first one that I miss uh, since I've been in the Congress. You, you cannot be at home with something that you feel that is wrong. That's going to send a that's right. going to send a big message to a lot of people in this country that you don't believe he's a legitimate president. I think there was a conspiracy on the part of the Russians and others to help him get elected. That's not right. That's not fair. That's not the open democratic process. So he didn't say anything crazy. He didn't say anything that not, other people haven't been saying before. He didn't say anything we don't know. We know the Russians hacked. We know they helped him win. It's not, this is not breaking news. How did Trump respond? Well, first of all, the fact that Trump responded is starting to really piss me off. Can he, I mean, again, he needs to stop being a 13-year-old girl and responding to everything said about him on the goddamn internet. Let it go. Surely there is something else you should be doing. Oh, I don't know. Perhaps getting ready to be the president? Well, clearly that is an easy job because he has a lot of time to spend on Twitter. And so he and his minions attacked Congressman Lewis. Um, Trump tweeted, quote, Congressman John Lewis should spend more time on fixing and helping his district, which is in horrible shape and falling apart, not to mention crime infested. Rather than falsely complaining about the election results, all talk, 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 no action, no results, sad. That was Trump's response. Would it have killed him just to not type that? Would it have killed him just to not respond? Is this piece of dog shit seriously going to respond to every single person that insults him or complains about him on the internet for the next four years? Because if so, then he needs to hire a secretary of Twitter, a secretary of def defensive Twitter. Truly, because A, I guarantee you whoever he hired, even if it was Baron, is going to be a lot smarter and more articulate than he is and wise enough to know not to say stupid crap like this. And on Martin Luther King weekend, I mean, what's wrong with you? A lot of things are wrong with him. Let's not get into that. If you don't know, you should read a history book, but John Lewis was one of the original freedom writers. He was beaten by police while marching from Selma to Montgomery in Alabama with Martin Luther King. I just, I just don't know. 
hail to the chief. Hail to the goddamn chief. Moving right along. State media has warned that China will, quote, take the gloves off, end quote, if Trump continues on Taiwan. Yes, China has said they will, and I quote, take strong action if the United States president-elect Donald Trump continues to provoke Beijing over Taiwan once he assumes office. In an interview with Wall Street Journal, with the Wall Street Journal published last Friday, Donald Trump said that, quote, one China policy was, you know, up for negotiation. China's foreign ministry, in response, said one China was the foundation of the China-U.S. ties. It was the truly the one hallmark of China-U.S. relations, and it was non-negotiable. This guy's going to get us, but this is China. China. I mean, this guy's not even in office yet, and I'm starting to worry about a frickin' world war. But good for everyone who voted for him, and even more so, good for everyone who sat on their ass and didn't vote because emails. I Hillary. I, I just can't trust Hillary. Okay. All right. So I was listening to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna digress here for a second. So indulge me. I was listening to. A podcast, one of my podcasts that I play clips from, great podcast, The David Pakman Show. And he does a segment every Friday. His, his show is daily, not weekly. And on Fridays, he has people, he lets people call in and talk and ask questions. So, so last Friday, someone called in and said to him that they considered themselves left leaning and they had been huge Bernie supporters. But when Bernie didn't win, and this is, I'm not exaggerating. But he said when Bernie didn't win the nomination, he, he found himself more of a Trump supporter because, well, he just, you know, he just couldn't get himself to support Hillary. Dear Jesus. That's what he said. And he asked David Pakman, he said, do you think that a lot of people, you know, maybe on Bernie's camp? decided to vote for Trump and thank God my, if I'm going to be honest here, if I had taken that phone call, I probably would have been like, um, I hope not. Uh, that's really too bad. David Pakman said, no, I think that's absolutely crazy because it is. And then the guy went on to say, well, I, in my defense, I didn't actually vote for anybody because I just, I just don't trust Hillary. And, uh, and he said, well, that's what I, you asked me if I think Bernie supporters ended up voting for Trump. No, I don't think a lot did that. I think a lot of Bernie supporters ended up doing what you did, which is even more tragic. You chose to sit on your ass and not partake in the election. And Trump supporters, Republicans in general, they never do that. <laughs> they never do that. And so there you have it. Apathy. Apathy is the enemy. And frankly... This is, it's one thing if you really know these candidates and you really know their record, you truly know what they've done. And after reviewing it all, you say, I don't feel comfortable voting for candidate A, B, or C because of the following reasons. If someone didn't want to vote for Hillary because they, I, honestly, in this last election, I can't think of a lot of reasons, but if you had a real legitimate reason, fine. But this thing, I just can't trust her. I supported Bernie, but I'm going to support Trump. How can you say you supported Bernie when Bernie then said, without wavering, Hillary Clinton needs to be the next president of the United States? Did you think he was kidding? These Bernie supporters who then turned on Bernie, these people are not supporters of anything. These people are stupid, loud and stupid. And I think they're partially responsible for President Kitty Grabber. Let's just say President Kitty Grabber. Ugh, it makes me sick. All right, moving right along. So what else is Trump been up to as he prepares to take office? That's correct, he'll be taking office. Well, I don't know if you knew. I hope you did know, but he recently gave his first press conference as president-elect. Yeah, the, uh, the election was in November. <laughs> but um, he gave his first press conference as the president-elect very recently. And boy, was it um, a shit show. 
But I want to thank a lot of the news organizations for some of whom have not treated me very well over the years, a couple in particular, and they came out so strongly against that fake news. Since you're attacking us, can you give us a question? Go since ahead. No, Mr. President-elect. Go, go ahead. President go ahead. Since you are attacking no, our news not you. Not you. Can you give us a chance? Your organization is you terrible. Our news Your organization is terrible. Let's go. Question, sir? Go ahead. Sir, Quiet, state, quiet. Can, Mr. President-elect, go ahead. She's she's asking a question. Don't Mr. be rude. Can you give us a question? Don't be rude. Can you give us a question? Don't be rude. No, I'm not going to give you a question. I'm not going to give you a question. You are fake news. Sir, go ahead. Don and Eric are going to be running the company. They are going to be running it in a very professional manner. They're not going to discuss it with me. Again, I don't have to do this. If Putin likes Donald Trump, guess what, folks? That's called an asset, not a liability. Now, I don't know that I'm going to get along with Vladimir Putin. I hope I do, but there's a good chance I won't. Again, I think it's a disgrace that information would be let out. Uh, I saw the information, I read the information outside of that meeting. Uh, they are, I think we have one of the great cabinets ever put together. And we've been hearing that from so many people. People are so happy. Uh, well, I'm not releasing the tax returns because, as you know, they're under audit. But every president uh, since the 70s has oh, never heard that. Oh, hold on. I'm sorry. I was just going to play that straight through. But let's, we have to hear that last part again. I read the information outside of that meeting. Uh, they are, I think we have one of the great cabinets ever put together. All right. What? First of all, a lot of people are dropping like flies when it comes to his cabinet nominations. A woman today, Monica Crowley, had to step aside as a nominee to be in the cabinet because she's been accused and found guilty of plagiarism on multiple occasions. There's a story that's been, actually, it was reported a while ago, but... It's now being picked up by the mainstream media more so than before about a guy. I think it's his nominee to be the secretary of health and human services who was who like putting money into a certain stock days before he went, you know, to the hill to try and help that stock, you know, up its value or something like that. Totally illegal. So he's probably going to drop like flies. He doesn't even have a cabinet. And one of the greatest cabinets of all time. Really, everyone's saying that. So many people have been saying that. Really? When I think of the best cabinets of all time, I think of, well, I don't know, George Washington, when he had um, a secretary of the Treasury named Alexander Hamilton and a secretary of state named Thomas Jefferson. And I don't really think you need, I think that's about it. I don't think you get better than that. President George Washington, Hamilton and Jefferson. Secretaries of the Treasury and State. You know, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. But, you know, we're going to have the be one of the best of all time. Okay. I went to one of the best schools. I'm worth many billions of dollars. Who's George Washington? And we've been hearing that from so many people. People are so happy. Who? What people? Who are these people? Uh, well, I'm not releasing the tax returns because, as you know, they're under audit. No, you're not releasing the tax returns because, as we all know, there's a lot in there that you wouldn't want us to see and that could probably get you kicked out of office before you ever take the oath. But every president uh, since the 70s has Oh, gee, I've never heard that. Oh, is it, gee, I've never heard that. It's very presidential to belittle reporters. I've never heard that. You know, the only one that cares about my tax returns are the reporters. Wrong. Okay, they're the only ones. But no, I don't think so. I won. We're going to build a wall. I could wait about a year and a half until we finish our negotiations with Mexico, which will start immediately after we get to office. But I don't want to wait. For our lives to be over. Um, that's, that's just fantasy land. About a year and a half until we finish our negotiations with Mexico. There are no negotiations with Mexico. They're not going to pay anything when it comes to that stupid imaginary wall. Which will start immediately after we get to office, but I don't want to wait. Mexico, in some form, and there are many different forms, will reimburse us, and they will reimburse us for the cost of the wall. So that was just a taste of it. He was asked about Obamacare. He was like, finally, someone asked me about Obamacare. <laughs> I thought no one would ever do it, I was hoping. But um, look, we have a replacement. It's going to be so unbelievable, fantastic. Okay, Obamacare is a disaster. We're going to repeal and replace. 
gonna be fantastic. Next question. That's that's what he's been saying. I mean, and you know, I have to say he's been giving answers like that. And when I say answers, I mean total total dodge answers like that since for you know since he announced his campaign. But no one seems to care because <laughs> I guess we're living in the twilight zone. So his inauguration is coming up. It's like when is it? The twentieth? Something like that. Research. This is called research. But you know, God help us. God, God help us. All right, it's just about time for a segment we haven't done in a while, um, but it's definitely a fan favorite. I happen to know for a fact that you personally have missed the crap out of this. And how do I know that? Because I really think so. Anywho, it's a segment I like to call Must See Scary Movies. Oh, you better believe it, folks. It's back and it's better than ever. And when I say it, I'm not talking about this segment, I'm talking about it. The movie, It. You know, it's really interesting, folks. I've been meaning to do a scary movie review on this film for a long time, but what inspired me to do it this week was all that I've recently been hearing and reading about the fact that this film has, in fact, already been remade. Oh yes, it's set to be released sometime in 2017. New cast, obviously. Uh, Pennywise the Dancing Clown, who was originally so brilliantly portrayed by Tim Curry of both the Rocky Horror Picture Show fame and, of course, the concierge, the suspicious concierge in Home Alone 2. Well, he's been replaced by some 26-year-old Swedish actor named Bill Skarsgård. Now, I may sound out of touch by admitting that I really had never heard of this guy until now, but that is in fact the case. He's a young, good-looking guy. He's now going to play Pennywise the Dancing Clown. Naturally. Look, I don't know the guy. He could be a great actor. I don't know anything about this movie. The remake could be brilliant. I don't care. What bothers me is the fact that there is no originality in Hollywood nowadays, especially when it comes to the horror genre. So, before it gets mixed in with this new version, perhaps forgotten, because of this new version, I wanted to delve in and review the original, the real, movie version of It. Which, in fact, wasn't actually a movie at all. It was a miniseries that was broadcast over two nights on ABC. It aired in November of 1990. And, as I said, it starred Tim Curry as Pennywise the Dancing Clown, as well as an ensemble cast playing... The children of Derry, Maine, and then eventually the adults who grew up in Derry, Maine. In a nutshell, this movie is about a small town who every 27 years or so gets hit with a massive spree of murders. Gruesome, grisly murders. Only of children, though. A bunch of children will be killed viciously, and then this killing will stop won't last, won't happen for many, many years until suddenly it picks up again. We learn that these, we learn very early on in the film that the murders are being committed by, well, Pennywise the Dancing Clown. (laughs) Now, in the novel, and whenever I've heard Stephen King talk about it, um, he describes the character not just as a clown, but as as an, quote, interdimensional predatory life form which has the ability to transform itself into its prey's worst fears, allowing it to exploit the phobias of its victims. Whatever that means. I mean, that's basically just a very wordy way of saying that it's a an entity, an evil entity that can shapeshift and possess, manipulate children. I think the reason his primary form is as a clown is because he does seek children, and a clown perhaps is a way to lure them in. Which sounds kind of crazy. Why? I mean, because everyone, everyone's supposedly afraid of clowns, right? Well, not necessarily, but... Many people credit this movie with actually making them scared of clowns. That's also, in my opinion, a hunk of bullcrap. Having said that, while actual chlorophobia, which is the 
real clinical term for fear of clowns is relatively rare and scientists and doctors really don't know a whole lot about it. Most experts agree that it's probably caused by not knowing who lies behind the mask, who is there behind the makeup. Not only are kids and human beings afraid of not knowing who's behind the makeup and mask, but frankly, what are clowns? Clowns are people who have painted their faces up to look like monsters, pretty much. They're, all of their features have been exaggerated. They have huge mouths with those creepy-looking grins painted blood red, a big red nose, uh, their eyes have somehow been exaggerated or enhanced, they're pale as a ghost. I mean, really, they do look like monsters. Having a villain, though, that can basically exploit any of the characters' fears is a fascinating idea. I talked about it a little bit when we reviewed Pet Cemetery. I talked about how impressed I was that this the film kind of took each character's most deepest, darkest fears and employed them somehow really perfectly. It didn't get too scatterbrained at all, and it all fit together nicely. This film does that as well right up until the last part. I'm going to try very hard not to um, not to have any spoilers during this review, but let me just say this. From start to finish, this movie is probably five, six hours long. I think it is really honestly great from hour one through maybe, I don't know, the last 30 minutes. And the last 30 minutes piss me off like there's no tomorrow. We'll get to that in a minute. Our, we are first introduced to Pennywise the Dancing Clown very early in the film when a little boy named Georgie is out playing in the rain with a boat he made out of a newspaper. Hi, Georgie. Aren't you going to say hello? Oh, come on, bucko. Don't you want a balloon? Supposed to take stuff from strangers. My dad said so. Very wise of your dad, Georgie. Very wise indeed. I, Georgie, am Pennywise the Dancing Clown. You are Georgie. So now we know each other. <laughs> Gee, right? I guess so. I gotta go. Go? Without this? My boat! Hey! Exactly. Go on, kiddo. Take it. Oh, you want it, don't you, Georgie? Oh, of course you do. It's and eleven o'clock. Candy and rides and all sorts of surprises down here, and balloons too, all colors. Do they float? Oh yes, they float, Georgie. And when you're down here with me, you float down! So then it goes on and we're eventually introduced to seven kids, all of whom have encounters with this clown, this crazy, scary clown. For the longest time, they assume it's just them. Many of them start to think maybe they're crazy. Until finally, it's revealed that, oh no, this is happening to all of them. And maybe it's this clown who's been murdering their their classmates. But who the hell is this guy? Who is this clown? My dad says there's no way to date this one. He says it's probably from the earlier mid-1700s, when there was a logging town. Hold it. Pennywise the clown? That's him. That's him. 200 years ago. He was here then? Come on. It's just a, it's just a drawing. Now look. Here he is again. The same man. It's not a man. It. It. That's what happened back in Georgie's room. Look. Kill you all! <laughs> I'll drive you crazy and I'll kill you all! I'm every nightmare you ever had. I am your worst dream come true. I'm everything you ever were afraid of. So, 
the band of seven joins together and decides that they have to fight back, not just to save themselves, but to avenge the life of little Georgie, who happened to be the younger brother of one of these kids. So they formulate a plan, trace the monster down, seek him out, and when they come face to face with the demon, boy, I mean, their plan goes awry to a degree, but they do land some blows, and they clearly, visibly, harm this creature so much so that they feel confident they've killed it they've killed it or at least weakened it to the point where he will never be able to come back to our world the kids grow up they get jobs they begin careers start families they move out and live all over the country really except for one one of the seven kids stays in Derry, makes a life there and sure enough, 27 years after they thought they killed the beast, the murders start all over again. The cycle continues, and he starts seeing clues around each crime scene that lead him to believe, that lead him to know without a doubt. The clown. It, whatever you want to call it, is back. <laughs> Now, before growing up and going their separate ways, the kids did make a pact. They vowed that if the creature were to ever return, they would all come back to Derry, Maine, where they grew up to once again band together and finish the job. Remembering this, the one remaining member of the group, one by one, contacts each friend, lets them know what happens, summons them back to Derry. Some don't want to come, some come right away. In the end, they do reunite and go after the clown once again. Only this time he's not dealing with children, he's dealing with adults. And while we might think adults are more brave, smarter, more resourceful, and whatnot, well now, you keep in mind, this creature has the ability to use your greatest fears against you. When you're a child, those fears are the boogeyman, the dark, heights, who knows. But as an adult, well, those fears are much more expansive. It could be your abusive husband, your miserable childhood, the fear of being alone, the fear of being abandoned, some traumatic experience that happened throughout your life. And now the creature has that and more at his fingertips to use against you. All with the same facade as Pennywise, the dancing clown, or whatever else he wants to be. I worry about you, Bevy. I worry a lot. <coughs> Won't do you any good to run, Bevy. So, how does it go the second time around? Does everyone survive? Does everyone even come back? Is Pennywise the dancing clown too much to overcome? Who knows, I guess you'll have to see the movie to find out. Like I said, this is a long one, but it's a very good one right up until the ending, and you'll just have to see why that is for yourself. I want so badly to say it on here, but again, I can't let myself be a spoiler, and so I won't. All I'll say is that It, the original miniseries movie version of It, starring Tim Curry, is absolutely worth seeing. However this remake turns out, frankly, I think it's pretty irrelevant, because in the end, Tim Curry will always be the true killer clown. Ha 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 